Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two completely opposite longtime friends. I'm Carrie, and I bring the practical buzzkill routine-keeping vibe to this partnership. (laughs) And I'm Amy. I tend to be upbeat and social and today cannot keep track of my schedule. And some people say that I can be a little overly enthusiastic. Each week, we have book nerd conversations with each other and sometimes a special guest. We not only talk about what we're reading, but also book-adjacent topics such as Stuff we've had to Google while reading. New titles on our TBR lists. Film adaptations that we've seen. And other bookish news. At the end of our shows, you'll have new books to put on your nightstand and hopefully a laugh or two along the way. This week, we chat with Vicki Johnson, a debut picture book author whose book Molly's Tuxedo is a delightful story about a child who doesn't want to wear the frilly, itchy dress and tight shoes her mother thinks is appropriate for her school pictures. Molly wants to wear, you guessed it, a tuxedo that has pockets. The book, which is illustrated by Jillian Reed, was published by Little Bee Books in collaboration with GLAD, a nonprofit organization focused on LGBTQ advocacy and ensuring fair, accurate, and inclusive representation. Vicki tells us all about her book and the path to her becoming a writer. She tells us about her move from Washington, D.C., to a small 200-year-old cabin in the woods of West Virginia. She also tells us about her sweaty history. You'll have to listen to hear what that's about. And tells us about her new app that has rocked her world and is soon to rock ours. But first... Uh, you know, I want to say something about that app. I'm not going to tell you what this app is, but I was telling my husband about it because when we were recording this, you will hear this section. I said... This app is going to blow my husband's mind. And then this weekend, I told him about it. He goes, yeah, I've had that app for two years. Don't you remember me telling you about it? I'm like, uh, no. no. I, I guess I just find it uh, more important when a guest tells me about it than when you tell me about it. The anniversary. Yeah. Well, I have had a little bit of a rough return to reality. We went on a a long weekend this weekend to celebrate our anniversary. And (laughs) this morning, I have had to rush my oldest child to the physician because he was running 102 fever. And then I had to have Carrie remind me, uh, she didn't know she was reminding me, that I actually had a dentist appointment this morning. And so we're a little late getting this intro going. But I think that I'm going to put all of my appointments on our shared calendar from now on so that Carrie can keep me apprised of my schedule. That's that's right. <laughs> well, you know, when you said, I think I can do it because we were supposed to record this at 8.30. And then you said that you were having to take him to the doctor. And then later you said, I think I can do it around 10. I mean, I was thinking this. I'm like, she has a dentist appointment at 11. And... Anyway, as it turned out, I had a telephone meeting at 10 that I had sort of forgotten about. Uh, <laughs> and you said, after your dentist appointment. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I remembered I had something today. I hadn't looked yet to see what that thing was because I wouldn't call it an emergency situation, but, you know, busyness. Un- anyway, un- unplanned busyness. Yeah. So yeah. right now my son is laying, they think he has strep throat down on the sofa and, you know, moaning and groaning as, <laughs> as grown men do when they're <laughs> ill. <laughs> I'm oh, not looking fun at him. He feels badly yeah. and I hate that he feels so terrible, but hopefully those antibiotics will kick in, kick in yeah. pretty soon. Well, so, so tell us a little bit about your, your trip. What, what was the best thing about it? I, oh, wait, I know. I know. Can I make a guess? Yeah, sure. You could take a guess. Okay. I'm going to say the best part about it was the Tower of Wine and the fact (laughs) that you were mere steps from the wine experience. Your room was mere, just like, you could totally get there blindfolded and drunk. I know, because I sent you a video. Yes, (laughs) I sent you a video of it. So 
This past weekend, we went to Virginia. My son works as a sous chef at the Omni Homestead Resort in Hot Springs, Virginia, which actually has a very interesting history. It has been in existence before the country was even a country. It has been in existence since 1766. Because of their hot springs, people would come from all over to soak in them because they thought that they had it had medicinal healing properties, right? And so it's been around a long time. For our anniversary, we thought, you know, this is a great chance for us to go visit our son. He's only been working there since February. So he wanted us to get there kind of early so he could see us before he had to go to work. So that first day, we couldn't even check in till four o'clock. And we got there at like 10, 10 a.m. And so I'm like, what are we going to (laughs) do before we could even check into our room? Well, my son had told me that they had something there you can do called the Virginia Wine Experience. And of course, I love wine. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a fun thing to do this afternoon until we can check into our room. (laughs) So we went down and we were getting a a tasting flight. And I did one of the white wine tasting flights. And my husband did the, the red. It came in this really cool tower where they would set the wine glasses. It looks like a spiral. And you'd set the wine glasses around it. But these were not like little tastings. These were almost like full glasses of wine. And we finished them all. (laughs) (laughs) I sent a picture of our empty wine flight. I was a little tipsy by the end. I had a great time though, because when we used to live in Virginia, we used to live in Charlottesville. I remember we visited a winery that was nearby. And I remember thinking at the time, that the wine was pretty good, or maybe that's what I had heard because I wasn't that experienced with wine at that point. Uh, But, you know, Thomas Jefferson, he brought vines over from uh, France, right? Because he liked wine so much. So Virginia actually has a very long history of growing wine, but you don't see it in very many wine shops and things because they make enough to supply their state. Like they just don't produce enough like California does to send it all over the place, right? Hmm. But the wine was really good. Uh, And she gave us some sips of some extras, you know, just to see what we thought. She gave us like a a bottle. After five glasses, do you really care how good it tastes? Honestly. And honestly, probably by the third glass. You know, there were some I liked better than others, but even the ones I didn't like, I still tried. (laughs) This is garbage. Give me more. More. That's right. That's right. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. And then once we checked in, our room was literally the closest room that you could have to this little wine bar area. I mean, there is no room closer than that, that you could stay in. So I think it was karma. I I think think so. I think so. But we took a wonderful hike. It's called the Cascade Gorge hike. And actually the homestead owns it. And you can only go on this hike through the resort, I guess, unless you sneak onto it or something. It was led by a naturalist. It was quite stunning. It was, anyway, we had a lovely little getaway and now we're back. What about you? What'd you do while I was gone? (laughs) And now for the dull portion of the show. I watched some television. We started watching Platonic with Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen. I thought it was a movie, but it's a series. And it's pretty funny. I like Seth Rogen. I could just listen to him laugh uh, because his laugh reminds me of when my kids were young, they watched that movie Monsters vs. Aliens. And Seth Rogen played the blob. It's a funny show, but it also kind of reminds me of happy, you know, other movies I like with Seth Rogen. What's it about? It's about two friends, a man and a woman, and they were really good friends in college. And then, you know, life sort of got busy and he married somebody that Rose Byrne's character did not think was a good fit for him. And so however many years later, he and his wife divorce and the Rose Byrne character hears about it and they sort of reestablish their friendship. So it's on Apple TV. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're watching a series called Silo, which I think is maybe on Apple Plus as well. Hold on. Apple Plus is kind of knocking it out of the park right now. Yes. Silo is on Apple TV. It's a sci-fi series that my husband talked me into watching, and it pulled me in from the beginning. It is based on a book called Wool, W-O-O-L, by Hugh Howey, 
And we were about five episodes in. It's basically about these underground silos where there's a whole civilization there. They cannot go outside or bad things will happen. They don't know exactly what, just bad things will happen. And, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about um, why they can't go outside. Uh, and it's it's pretty interesting. And so when we started on our trip, I always have a great time trying to find an audiobook that he and I can listen together. We're both big readers, but we have very different tastes. And he doesn't really like my go-to audiobook. I like to listen to memoirs. I like to listen to nonfiction. He, those are not his jam. And I think we tried four or five books before we found one that we both could agree on. And it turned out to be the book version. We were, we're listening to Wool by Hugh Howie. And I really like it. Although it's a lot longer than my average book. It's like 15 hours long. And I don't usually listen to ones longer than 10. Uh, so we're about 67% of the way through. And then we're not going to be in the car together for any length of time. So I had then had to buy the book so that we could each finish it on our own. But it's pretty interesting because the storyline of the TV series and the novel follows along pretty closely for like maybe the first 30%. Mm-hmm. And then after the fir- first 30%, it kind of veers off hmm. from each other. And I wouldn't say that I like one better than the other. They're just different. Hmm. You know, I've never done this before uh, where I've started watching something, but not finished it Mm -hmm. and then started the book and not finished it and (laughs) kind of like doing it parallel, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. No, I'm wondering if I'm going to get confused Mm. at some point. Uh, It hasn't happened yet, but we'll see. But anyway, I'm really enjoying both the book and the series. Uh, But yeah, it's an ensemble cast and it's, it's excellent. Hmm. So y'all, this is our next to last episode. We only have one more episode before our summer hiatus. And uh, next week, it'll just be you and I. And yep. it's sort of a, it's a mystery, mystery episode. Even to us, it's a Even mystery. <laughs> We've been, we have been working on it. I don't know that it's set in stone yet. <laughs> we might try to cover all the different holidays that June represents. That's right. That's Dad's right. Day, Pride Month. Juneteenth. And maybe a couple others that you've never heard of. That's right. All in one episode. It's going to be like a circus. It's going to be fun. (laughs) So make sure you tune in next week to our our season finale before we take a month off. Lucky Vicky, she gets us at the end of the season when we're (laughs) tired, unmotivated. Yeah. But she she was a champ. She hung in there with us. So yeah. So let's let's listen to that now. We're pleased to have Vicki Johnson, a debut picture book author, with us on the show. Vicki, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I have been following you on Instagram for a couple years now, and I'm not exactly sure how I found you, except for that. I think it's kind of a very roundabout way. I'm originally from West Virginia, and I think Mm -hmm. that I happened to see a bookstore called Words Play that was in West Virginia, which I started following. And then I think that they mentioned you at some point in a post. And then I started following you. And then I noticed that you had this picture book, which sounded awesome. And so we had to ask you onto the show. So that is my roundabout way, I think, that I found you on Instagram. (laughs) For several sounds, several years ago. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that and Cabin Reads. I know y'all followed that too. Yes, so. yes. We'll talk about that uh, in a minute. But your picture book, Molly's Tuxedo, comes out June 27th. And it's about a young kindergartner who doesn't want to wear a frilly dress for school photos. She wants to wear her brother's tuxedo. And we are so on board with uh, pants over skirts, you know, pockets. Your author bio says that the book comes from your own experience. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, a lot of it comes from my experience. You know, I, from a very young age, you know, I had an older brother. I always wanted to get his Tammy downs and had very particular ideas about how I wanted to dress. You know, I, I grew up in the deep south, south Georgia. And, uh, you know, we had to get dressed up to go to church. And I very famously would start undressing in the back seat on the way home because <laughs> I <laughs> 
so I had very strong feelings about it. And so in my whole life, you know, I've always been sort of gender non-conforming in how I dress and appear. And I had seen a couple of things in 2019, a couple of articles or, you know, stories or something online where I saw a couple of different young people who were being scrutinized for wanting to wear a suit. And I was like, really, we're still doing this? Like it has been decades, you know, since I, I experienced it as as a child. And I was at the same time thinking about wanting to try a picture book writing. And so I just sat down with those feelings and, you know, wrote out a draft. When I was reading the book, I thought about my son. Both he and I have sort of sensory issues with clothes. Mm-hmm. And so when I was reading the book, I actually thought it would be perfect for kids who struggle with just kind of the Mm -hmm. feel of clothes, right? Like it just, it physically doesn't feel right. So when you were writing the book, did you think about it or did you intend it to be sort of potentially understood from different perspectives and different lenses? You know, I, I actually didn't. I was actually being very specific about my experience, but you're not the first person to say that. Like, at the time when I was first, I think I was querying agents. I think there was another agent who mentioned that and said, yeah, this would be a great book also to, because it addresses that issue. But I do think it's a, it's a real universal message. You know, young children have a, a small amount of agency in their lives, right? And, and one of those things that they have agency over is what feels comfortable to them, what they want to wear. And then, of course, there's like, how do they want their hair to look or what books do they want to read or what kind of toys do they like to play with. And so I found lots of people from across the spectrum talking to me about how, oh, I was Molly when I was little. I hated wearing dresses. You know, it's definitely not limited to the LGBTQ community that feels this way about gender clothing or just about, you know, clothing in general. So I'm not surprised that it makes sense to other people. As a parent, You don't realize, I think, until you have a kid who, or maybe you were the kid, but how, I don't know, like I was the kid who I wanted to wear my hair really short, you know, when I was a teenager and none of the other girls, you know, they were wearing the big eighties, you know, (laughs) they looked like they were in a a metal band. Um, (laughs) I liked my hair short. I still like my hair short, you know, so I was very much that way. Like I want it to do what I want it to do with my body and how I present it, my body. But as a parent, it becomes this really weird thing. It's like, what will people think? And that can be really a challenge as a parent. So even mm-hmm. though your book is a is a picture book, and I think a lot of people think, oh, picture books, they're just for little kids. I think it's a great book for parents too, to mm-hmm. maybe if they haven't, to sort of think about you know, like, what am I doing here? Am I worried about what other people think? And should I be worried about what other people think? Mm-hmm. Thanks for, for mentioning that. It was really important to me, too, because, you know, I'm a parent and you know, my daughter was very different from me. She was very much a fancy Nancy girl. She liked all <laughs> the fluffy stuff. So it was really kind of hilarious, you know, when I was helping her get dressed for dance classes and I'd have to put her hair up in buns. And stuff. It was <laughs> but there are things I think even the most present parent, the most progressive or present parent misses things about their child or, you know, makes mistakes or has, you know, all kinds of things going on or busy. And so it was important to me when I wrote the story that the mom's character arc gave caregiver to reading the story uh, an opportunity to think about it and see that, you know, you can make a course correction and you can sort of say, oh, okay, now I see you. I see what's going on. I'm really paying attention now and I see it. It can be a joyful experience for both parent and child and it brings you closer together. But yeah, I mean, parenting is, is, is a whole different opportunity to reflect on yourself <laughs> as you're parenting your child and seeing things about them. And we all do our best, right? Right. So at what point did you s- decide that you might want to write a, a children's book? I mean, what what has been your day job <laughs> up until this point? And I mean, besides the idea for this book, obviously, you had mm-hmm. been thinking about writing a children's book prior to this. Why was that? And, and mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I came to writing very late in life. 
for most people, but I had a whole career. I've been a lawyer. I've worked, uh, you know, had a day job doing, I worked in politics and did a lot of different things, but I was a voracious reader as a child. I mean, that is all I did. You know, I just laid around and read in that hot Georgia heat. Like that's how <laughs> My granny had a sports wing and it'd be so hot and I would lay out there and just read the summers away and it, all the time. And so I think that has a lot to do to build up your chops as a writer when you read a lot. And then I didn't really get into creative writing at all in college or anything. And then later when I had my daughter and I was reading to her a lot and I don't know, I just kind of thought about it, got the bug and uh, had heard about NaNoWriMo, which is that monthly national novel writing month where you write 50,000 words in one month. And I don't know where I found out about that, but I was like, you know, I'm just going to try doing this. And so that was like, I guess like maybe eight or nine years ago. So I did it. I really consider myself a middle grade writer, which are, you know, novels for children who are like sort of eight to 12 years old, you know, older than picture books. And so I worked on that off and on for several years, uh, mostly off honestly, because it's just so hard to find time when you have a full-time job and you're raising, you're a single parent and all that. But then in 2019, I decided, I think I want to type picture books, you know, I want to take a break um, and do some side writing and type picture books. And so this was the first picture book I ever wrote. From having been writing a middle grade novel to switching to a picture book, did you find that that was a challenge or did you find that that <laughs> felt easier because I could see that it would, it could be both. Yeah. I mean, you know, the conventional wisdom among people who don't write uh, for children, they always like, Oh, well, picture books should be easier. Right. Cause you're going for, you know, a middle grade novel might be 50,000 words in a picture book is now under a thousand words or now they're even shorter, like under 600 words. But those of us who are kind of doing it, like the the conventional wisdom is that they're like harder to write, you know, right. because you're trying to do so many things in so few words. I mean, you still have to have a plot and character arcs and all the things that you would have in a novel. And the other challenge with the picture book, which is a welcome challenge for me, I love this part, is working with an illustrator and an illustrator that you don't really talk to. So most people don't know this, but in traditional publishing, picture book authors and illustrators don't really communicate that much or at all during the process. But it's an editorial decision who they select as a illustrator for the most part. You, you, you know, you might get some input, or, you know, if they have a couple of people in mind, but really the picture book artist you know, they come in with their own sense of what the book is about. To get back to your question, when as an author and you're writing these picture books and you have a certain number of words that you can use, you also want to take into account, okay, well, where's the space for the illustrator to bring this to life? And what should I leave out? You know, I don't need to say on this page, you know, she's wearing a blue shirt because the illustrator might want to make this a whole different looking page. I think the nice thing about picture books is that you can sit down and write a draft. Uh, you know, with a novel, you're talking about 300 pages. And, you know, when you touch one piece of it, you, you know, you're affecting the rest of it. And it's, so, but with a picture book, you can sit down and sometimes it's almost like writing a poem, you know, you mm. can sit down and write it and then, you know, the next day rewrite it or, or whatever. So it's, it's a whole two different worlds, really. So when you wrote this, from the time you went from sort of like the, the first draft mm -hmm. to the book, did you go back and do a lot of, of editing or was the bulk of the story, did that kind of remain the same? I, I wrote it in January of 2020 because I always say this, but I really, I, I like New Year's resolutions. I usually am mm -hmm. really into it. So I was like, this is the year of picture books. And I wrote it and then I wrote a couple more. And so I had the concept for it. But it was not in the right structure. And then I had a couple of one informal and one more formal mentorship that year. And that's when I sort of started putting the pieces together and getting it in, a be in better shape. I have mm. since gone into an MFA program for writing for children and young adults at Vermont College of Fine Arts. And I've taken a picture book intensive semester. So I know a lot more about picture books now. But back then, I was kind of teaching myself. I was going to a lot of SCBWI conferences at Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, which a lot of people who write for children and young adults 
start with SDBWI. They have, you know, programs all over the country. But I, at that point, I was kind of just doing it on my own. But then when I had mentorships, I got it pulled it sort of together. And by the end of 2020, that's when I sort of had a final draft. So yeah, I did change some things and, and move things around. The illustrations in your book by Jillian Reed are just, they're so bright and whimsical and they just uh, kind of give you a warm, fuzzy feeling. Like I just love looking at the illustrations. Mm-hmm. So you hit the jackpot with the illustrator selected for you. Yeah, let me tell you, the, the editor Little B Books was so happy to get uh, Jillian on board for this project. I was so happy. I have to brag about her for a little bit because truly, when you do a picture book, they're called a picture book for a reason. These images, the images are powerful and they also have their own story to tell. And so the magic of a picture book is the combination of those words and pictures. And Jillian, her background is in animation. She worked for 10 years in animation and her last thing that she worked on was on Netflix, a show and movie called Hilda. She worked on that, but she's worked on a bunch of different things. And then she moved into picture books and worked on Queer Eyes, Jonathan Van Ness's picture book in 2020. And then she did mine. And I was really fortunate that um, she was interested. And the great thing about it is she really felt this book. Like it's also kind of a heart book for her too, because she felt like when she was little, she felt the same way (laughs) about dressing up and that kind of thing. And, you know, when you have some emotional investment, um, in the story, I think it, you know, illustrators really like that too. And people always say, oh, you know, the illustrator brought my words to life. You know, that's what we say. But with her, it really was. I mean, she gave Molly so much personality and brought in all the colors and the gestures. And it's so fun. It's just so fun having her work to look at. You know, I think the kids, it'll really resonate with, with young people. You mentioned some of the the mentorship programs Mm -hmm. that you had done. You were a 2022 Lambda Literary Fellow. Tell us a little bit about that and and sort of the other mentorship activities you've done. Yeah. So the Lambda Literary Writers Workshop for Merging LGBTQ Writers, that was actually for young adult writing. And I did that. uh, Mark Oshiro, who is an amazing writer, was my uh, mentor advisor for that program. Normally it's in person, but it was, you know, it was virtual when I did it. It's a really powerful program where you, you are in different cohorts. They have ones in all sorts of cohorts, like poetry and playwriting and all different kinds of things. That was me trying to do YA. I won't say that that's my strongest age group to write for. I really like picture books in middle grade, but I really learned a lot. And I'm really glad that I did that. The mentorship that I actually worked on with this book, one of them was, it's no longer active. It was called PB Chat, and it was a, sort of a Twitter-based program, and they had where you could apply to work with a mentor, and I applied and was accepted by a mentor who's an author and an editor, and so we worked just casually, you know, over the course of a few months. You know, he would give me some feedback, and then I would make changes and send it back to him. You know, obviously, he's an editor, a working editor, so he had a lot of knowledge about, you know, he taught me about publishing and and, and different aspects of of putting a picture book, uh, getting it in shape. And before that, even, I had a sort of informal mentorship with an author who saw my three manuscripts that I had, and she was the one who said, hey, yeah, this this is the one that you should, like, pursue. Because if you know, you know, the business, if you're someone who's actively um, publishing books, you'll kind of have a sense of what's out there and what's not been done and what's been done, what's overdone. It's a bunch of picture books <laughs> that come out every year. So, But I find it really, uh, really powerful to do that because otherwise as a writer, you spend a lot of time at home by yourself, right. you know, right. and you're working with your cats walking across the keyboard <laughs> and occasionally you get up and get a snack. But, you know, mostly you're there. And unless you're going to an SCBWI conference, which are really great for getting together with other writers and illustrators, you know, the pandemic kind of messed everything up. But you kind of work by yourself. So it's good to have someone who's ahead of you in the in the process and who can give you pointers. And since that time, I've offered my knowledge, you know, to do like fundraisers for We Need Diverse Books or things like that, where you can help someone get, you know, a hand up because that's sort of all part of the process. 
Yeah. I, I know for myself, just in the last year, I mean, I've done freelance writing for 13 years, but just in the last year, I've gotten involved with this sort of network of other women writers. I feel like it has been so eye-opening for me because I, I was just kind of doing my thing and you get mm-hmm. very, at least for me, I got, you, you just sort of get stuck in the mud. I think sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, you're in your own head, you've, you've done mm-hmm. your own stuff. And it becomes sort of easy and you go, well, why try something new? But having other people to bounce ideas off of or just to even hear ideas that aren't your own ideas, it can be, you know, really great. Started out with critique partners, right? A couple of people that I met with way back in the day. And this was when my daughter was young, you know, and I didn't have a whole lot of time then either. Kind of gradually amped up everything that I did. I started going to those conferences. And then, you know, the mentorship came when I think each step, you sort of professionalize yourself a little bit more. You get to know a little bit more. You're getting more feedback on your work. And then ultimately, when I got an agent and I was starting the MFA program, yeah, it just kind of builds on itself. Well, there's so much censorship right now related to books that kids, especially, but really anyone, you know, for access to libraries. And so I can imagine it can be a pretty weird time to come out with a book about a child who doesn't love more stereotypical gender boundaries uh, that society wants to put on, you know, even things such as, you know, wearing a dress or or pants. So has the censorship issue been something that you've dealt with thus far in your publication journey? My book, you know, releases on the uh, 27th. So I haven't experienced it quite yet. But, you know, it was published in partnership with GLAAD, who has a publishing partnership with Little B Books, who, who is my publisher. And I fully expect, sadly, that there may be some issue. You know, I think a few years ago, this book would not have been on anybody's radar for that. But there's a a small, very vocal, like minority of people who, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And there's just been a lot of unfortunate, you know, incidents in schools and libraries and it's such a bummer I I feel so badly for the librarians and the teachers who are dealing with it but you know I just hope people read the book and see that it's it's important that all the all children's stories are told you know we talk a lot about this that Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop in 1990 coined a phrase of mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors, talking about multicultural books for kids. And basically, it just means that every child should be able to go into a library or a classroom and be able to look into the mirror when they look at a book and see themselves. And their classmates should be able to look in through a window, you know, and see their classmates' lives and their families and have some better understanding. Because, I mean, don't we need more understanding in this world right now? So, you know, it's it's unfortunate that this is going on, but we're always going to tell our story. And, you know, I just move forward. I can't worry about that. Yeah. So for those who may not know, can you tell us what GLAD is? GLAD is a national organization that works to in- increase acceptance of LGBTQ people in all forms of media. So books, TV, movies, They act as sort of a watchdog in that respect. And they also uh, do children's media as well to accelerate acceptance. So that's their involvement. Okay. You know, I don't know if you've read this book, but a few weeks ago, I read a book called the, it's a middle grade book called The Pants Project by Kat Clark. Are you familiar with that book? I feel like I've heard about that, but I haven't read it. Well, when I read it, I thought this would be Molly if she were middle grade. This would (laughs) be like the continuation of Molly's story. Uh But it's basically about a girl who starts middle school and she's going to the only school in her area that requires a uniform. And for Mm -hmm. girls, it's a skirt. And she does desperately does not want to wear a skirt. And Mm -hmm. so she sort of starts this crusade to get the the dress code changed. And it was a it was a great book. But it was funny because when I read it I I thought of your book and thought this is <laughs> this is a similar story but just a little bit older for an older yeah. kid. Those, so those uniforms, I mean that Jillian the uh, illustrator, that that was her situation. She grew up in Ireland and they had to wear uniforms mm-hmm. and that's 
part of why she liked the idea of doing the book so much. I love following you on Instagram because you show beautiful pictures of your land and your historic log cabin that you live in, in West Virginia. And you, for a little while, had an Instagram account called Cabin Reads, where you would ask fellow children's book writers to tell about how nature affected their writings. Why did you want to do that? Well, first of all, I just, I mean, I love photography and it's so beautiful here. So I moved here about eight years ago, and I still work in the D.C. area, but I wanted to be somewhere like this. Uh, I'm literally in a forest with a view of a valley. It's just an amazing, beautiful place, and it's an old cabin, and I can sit at my desk, and I look outside, and I see box turtles and bunny rabbits and deer and a million different kinds of birds, and it is like I'm living in a children's novel. And it's very peaceful and wonderful. And when I moved here, one of the things that I did was I wanted to get involved in the local, you know, writing community. And a friend of mine, John Copenhaver, he's an author who writes adult novels, but he has a cabin out here and he had a Lost River Writers Retreat and we got together and we would have readings. And I had a couple of children's authors in to do readings in person out here. And so once the pandemic hit, I was like, well, you know, what else can I do? And I had been invited to do a couple of other sort of Instagram type projects like this. And I was like, oh, I could do it, you know, on Instagram. And then people can just share photos. And so I just started it like that. I started invited, started with my friends and I got some really amazing people on there. And they're just really short essays. You know, it's just the caption word count that you can have on Instagram and where people could talk about and I wanted to keep it, you know, about nature and how to, and how it intersects with their creative process or whatever. But I was like, nature can be, you know, your, you know, your cat or your dog, or it could be walking in a park, or it could be going on a hike, or however you want to interpret that. It was just a kind of a fun way for people to sort of get to know each other. And I got to know a lot of people through it, and I just enjoyed it. I, I like to meet people, so I thought it would be a fun thing to do. <laughs> Now, I think it, you did it for a year and now it has ended. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, I, I put it on hiatus. I did it a year and I thought I would just take a break because I knew that my tea publication schedule was going to amp up and I had a lot going on. And so, yeah, it may come back. I don't know. Um, people seem to really like it. Uh, it's just I'm going to get through this month. This has been right. quite a month. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's still up though, right? The oh, account's yeah. still mm-hmm. up. So it's people should go and follow it and just, you know, scroll through it. I, I enjoyed it, every, you know, when you would come out with it one every week. I uh, recommend that. Okay. So you talked about where your favorite place to read was when you were a kid. It was on your grandmother's hot, sweaty porch in the swing. <laughs> so do you have a favorite place now that you like to read in the summertime? I, you know, I don't, it's just, I mean, I tend to be inside where it's cool. It's funny you talk about, because I say that in my bio that I sweated a lot as a kid. But I mean, I grew up in South Georgia. It was so hot down there, y'all. It's so humid (laughs) and like no AC, you know, I just grew up in a time where they didn't have AC, but I have a great front porch in my cabin that looks out over the valley and I'll, I'll read out there. Got to have that AC or actually it stays pretty cool in here because of the thick logs and everything. So where do you like to read in the winter? Do you have a favorite reading spot in your cabin in the winter? Well, let me, well, first let me describe it. It's a very tiny cabin with a really small space. So you're talking about, do you walk from one room to the other, you know, like (laughs) walk five feet from one place to the other, but it's all generally in my living room. I have a fireplace in here and everything. So, How old is your cabin? So it's originally, it's almost 200 years old. My understanding is that it used to be the old schoolhouse on Main Street. The town that I live in is like 200 people. But it's the old uh, schoolhouse. And then the family moved it in its current location in the 40s. But it's, the logs are like 200 years old. So it's, it's legit like Abraham Lincoln. I mean, it's, wow. when we first moved here, I was like, did we learn how to like light a lamp? In case the power goes out? <laughs> and it was pretty sketchy the first couple of years. I mean, there was a lot of ton of snow and, uh, you know, we usually lose power, but I, over time I got more and more brave and I was like, I can handle anything that happens. You know, I like have a wash house where I have to go outside the house and whatever weather to go wash clothes. And, but I love it. It's 
it's really beautiful here. That's a, a big change from D.C., I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Well, I lived yeah. in Georgia, too. I, went, I okay. lived in Georgia for a while. But, yeah, it's it's a big change. But I never thought I'd be in a, in a cabin, per se. I kind of wanted the farmhouse, you know, like an old school farmhouse with a big porch. But there were just none to be had here. And when I came up to see this place in the view of the valley, I just, you know, I see the mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains right up from my front porch. I, I, I had to have, you know, had to have this experience and it's been great. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So last question before we end this, but sure. is there a book that just screams summer to you? Like one that just makes you feel that it's summer, one that you've read or from your childhood? I can think about that one. All I've read from is two years are picture books. <laughs> so I mean, because I, I took that picture book intensive, right? And then also I've been in the picture book world. But I, I'm trying to think. It would probably for summertime. It just it would probably be like you know I don't know a Stephen King novel or like uh, maybe science fiction or something like that. Something that's just you know you can just relax into and and enjoy. It. Especially if they're a real thick book. I like a good book that's going to take a while. Ah, you're you're of the um the bigger the better camp. Yeah, (laughs) ironic that I'm writing picture books. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. I agree with you about the Stephen King because that's what I used to read when I was a teenager in the summer when school was out. Were those big Mm -hmm. thick Stephen King novels? Mm -hmm. I think I read The Stand when I was like in seventh or eighth grade. So something really inappropriate like that. (laughs) Yeah, I, I I love a good Stephen King scary book. Okay, well, now uh, I think we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Vicki Johnson, uh, author of Molly's Tuxedo and with Carrie, so Carrie, you have been out of school here for almost a week now. What have you been reading? Well, I have been sort of knocking out books left and right. So this is a book. It's called The Daughters of East, and that's Y-S, The Daughters of East by M.T. Anderson. Now, I have talked about M.T. Anderson books before. This book has a beautiful cover. That's what drew me to it. And I seem to like his writing an awful lot because I think he always does something different. And that's sort of what I like about him. But this story is, it's based on a Breton folktale. Breton is an area of Northwest France, uh, more commonly, at least the what I know is that it's the area of Brittany. And so this is a folktale. And in the original, it kind of paints the picture of this princess de Hoot as a slut and wicked. And that's kind of how a lot of women were thought of if they were strong and intelligent mm-hmm. and did things that they wanted to do. That's what they were considered slutty and wicked. So in MT Anderson's version though, she is, is much more complicated than that. She's making decisions about the kingdom, trying to protect it. And sometimes she has to make decisions that she really would prefer that she didn't have to make. Part of the reason she has to make those decisions, though, is because her father, the king, has basically checked out. He just sort of wants to live in this lavish life of indulgence and consumption. So you could read this as just as sort of a, a, a folk tale, but you could also potentially read it as a story about excess consumerism and what that's doing to society and to nature and what that might mean. I liked it. I passed it on to my daughter. I'm going to pass it on to my son. It's called The Daughters of East, and that's Y.S. by M.T. Anderson. Okay, so this one's a graphic novel, but does M.T. Anderson normally write graphic novels? M.T. Anderson has done a little bit of a lot of stuff. Like he's written middle grade novels. He's written more like YA novels, some that are more sci-fi, some that are fantasy. I mean, it's hard for me to categorize because every single book has been totally different. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Vicki, what have you been reading? 
Okay, so I have not one, not two, but three picture books. I'm just going to say really quickly because I know I don't have a lot of time, but I couldn't possibly just pick one. <laughs> so I have a dog book, a cat book, and a pride book. Um, oh, just, perfect. Yeah, so the dog book is that I have loved so much recently is called Everywhere With You. And the author is Carly Straziak. And the illustrator is Devin Holdsworth. And it's a story. It is stunning, beautiful uh, artwork and beautiful poetic story about a little girl. And there's two houses and there's a fence between them. And the little girl's on one side and the dog is on the other. And it's so lonely and doesn't have anyone to give it attention and how their relationship develops. And I just adore it. Um, There's also Negative Cats by Sophie Blackhall, which is a fantastic book that everyone should read Sophie Blackhall has won the Caldecott medal twice. I think that's the, um, the, the highest award for um, picture book art and an amazing artist. And the story is really adorable about a cat. That's not nice at all. It's just negative. Um, I think we can all relate to those kinds of cats. And yes. yeah. Yeah. And then the third book I'll say for pride is it's two books, granddad's camper and granddad's pride by Harry Woodgate who I just had the honor of having an authoring conversation with Harry. And Harry just won the British Book Award for Granddad's Paper. Huge deal. And uh, they do the art and the words. And they're such a lovely person. And they started this idea of being a granddad uh, when they were in university and did their dissertation on LGBTQ rap and and picture books and how they want people, older people. And so it's a beautiful, adorable story. The artwork is so vibrant and wonderful. So Granddad's Camper by Harry Woodgate. And those are my three. Oh, awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Very good. Well, Amy, what have you been, you've been, what have you been doing? Well, this book, it's a book that I've been wanting to read for a while. um, And I was on the waiting list for it. Although it's kind of funny because this book is from 2014. So it's not like it's a new release or anything. But it's called Grandma Gatewood's Walk, the inspiring story of the woman who saved the Appalachian Trail by Ben Montgomery. I sort of have this interest recently in walking like um, you know, people do the Camino de Santiago or Pacific uh, Crest Trail or but what started it was sort of the Appalachian Trail. And I think probably my first experience with the Appalachian Trail was reading that book by Bill Bryson, Walk in the Woods. But I was interested in reading this because I had seen like a little, I don't know, like a little snippet on Facebook or something that was talking about Grandma Gatewood. And so this is the biography of Emma Gatewood. And she was a woman who, at the age of 67, told her adult children that she was going to go out for a walk and then proceeded to hike the Appalachian Trail in 1955. And so the Appalachian Trail runs from Georgia to Maine, and it's about 800 miles long. And it's one of the most famous through hikes in the U.S. and maybe the world. So she carried with her just a little sack with just a few little things, a change of clothes and $200. And she was the first woman to hike the trail alone. Besides doing that amazing feat, she had a pretty hard and interesting life before that. She was the mother of 11 children. She was a farm wife. She lived on a farm in a small Ohio town. Uh, of Gallipolis, Ohio, which is right on the border with West Virginia. But she was also a, a domestic abuse victim, and she would head to the woods when things were bad with her husband. So this book not only tells the story of Emma Gatewood, and her trail name was Grandma Gatewood. So I guess people who hike the Appalachian Trail, they often have a trail name, and hers was Grandma Gatewood. Um, It also tells the story of the rise of the pastime of long hiking in America and how her journey helped bring prominence to the Appalachian Trail herself. The press at certain points began to follow her and made her sort of a hiking celebrity. She was on like talk shows and things after she completed this. Emma Gatewood went on to hike the trail another two times. She walked the Oregon Trail. And she was also instrumental in building trails in her home state of Ohio. So the author, Ben Montgomery, had access to her diaries, her trail journals, and correspondence. 
And this was a really a pretty fascinating look at the life of a very remarkable woman, her ability to overcome the odds, her to survive her violent marriage, to raise 11 children, and to hike a trail without really tr- training for it specifically. It's really a story of resilience. And I think it could be a great summer read for those who like the outdoors or those who like books about strong female characters. And so, again, the name of that was Grandma Gatewood's Walk, the inspiring story of the woman who saved the Appalachian Trail by Ben Montgomery. Okay, I have questions. You said she just carried like a very small pack. Did she like walk and then come off it every day or did she stay in... Like she would stay in little shelters if she found them along the way. Sometimes she would walk off the trail and see if there was someone who would give her lodging overnight. But sometimes she slept in the elements. She would like warm up rocks. She would sleep on to keep her warm. She was very, um, uh, I don't know if it was from living on a farm for so long, but she was very creative, you know, making do with things. Yeah. And she didn't carry very much food with her either, just like a little bit that maybe she would pick up, you know, at a lodge along the way. And a lot of times she would stop at houses and ask them if, you know, she could have dinner with them and things like that. I would never do it, but I think it would be awesome to do that. But I cannot imagine doing it alone as a woman. You, I just would, I don't know. I just wouldn't want to do it alone. Not only just being a woman, but what if you injured yourself, you know, along the way? And like several times she did injure herself. Now, I feel like I've seen a, a picture of her and she, she literally had like a sack, right? It yes. Was not, this she was didn't... before there were backpacks and all the fancy right. things that made you comfortable on an 800 mile hike. Like she was just kind of like. Yeah, she didn't. You think now, you know, people carry these huge backpacks that have, you know, the sleeping bag and a tent and, you know, all the things that they might need. And she didn't have any of that. She just had, you know, a little bit of clothes and some money and some occasionally she would go off the trail and spend the night in a hotel and then she'd come back on. But she she wanted to she didn't want to skip any part of it. She wanted to do the whole thing. That's so um, hardcore. And she, yeah. I've heard of, about her, but given her history, you can almost see why she needs to get away and get, and what, what was inside her that was really driving her forward and, and also given her peace being where right. she probably where she was. And so that sounds like a fascinating book. It, yeah. it, it was. And I will say, I don't think it's by the same author, but there, I know that there is a children's book about Grandma Gatewood too. She's a fascinating figure. And I looked up that book. There is a children's book about Grandma Gatewood called Grandma Gatewood Hikes the Appalachian Trail by Jennifer Thurms. I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right, but it's T-H-E-R-M-E-S. So, oh, cool. So Thanks if people want to check that out, you know, for a little girl power, mm-hmm. uh, that's a good one. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, let's take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to put Vicki in the hot seat. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) We're back with Vicki Johnson, author of the debut picture book, Molly's Tuxedo. Vicki, are you ready for your questions? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) You mentioned that you spent a lot of your childhood sweating while reading. What (laughs) Mm -hmm. activities do you do as an adult that make you sweat? Mm -hmm. Okay. So first of all, the the whole thing about the sweating, I just want to say right off the bat that, you know, when you're asked to write a 50 word bio for yourself, (laughs) you try to hit all the high points and it's hard (laughs) to hit everything. So I was trying to remember what childhood was like. And I just remember sweating a lot. Because as I mentioned, I grew up in South Georgia, where it's like 120,000% humidity year round. Okay. So I did sweat a lot. But now I do try to take daily walks, because that helps me as do many of those people that we talked about in cabin reads, a lot of people talk about walking, and it's very common for writers. Um, because you can kind of be in your head and work out things and stuff like that. So I would say that that's what I do to when I sweat now, but also I kind of do get, you know, nervous before I have to do an event and I'm about mm. to be doing quite a few of those for my book <laughs> launch. So I might be sweating those a little bit too. <laughs> so. so when you walk, like, does your cabin have like a lot of land with it or is there a lot of free space where you can walk? 
honestly, I'm so boring. Like it's not at my cabin. I go to the town park or I used to work on this farm and I would walk around the farm, but I, okay. I like to just walk laps so I can just kind of like not think about what I'm doing. Gotcha. And just come, yeah. Get into the zone mm-hmm. of thinking. Think. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Or listen yeah. to podcasts. Okay. So question number two, you said that there's an app that you are absolutely obsessed with right now. So tell tell us about it. What is the app that you're obsessed with? Well, this is the joke, right? I, I think in general of people talking about, oh, you know, you've hit middle age when you get really into your birds and bird feeders <laughs> and stuff like that. But for real, my pet sitter who helps me out when I go out of town is, is an actual ornithologist. She's amazing. She oh, wow. does all these really cool things. And she told me about this app and it's called Merlin, like the wizard. And it's, it's uh, done by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. So it's completely legit. And it's so good. And you download these different packs for where you live, or you can do the whole United States, but you go outside and you just click a button and it just starts populating all the bird sounds that you hear. You'll see a picture of the bird. You'll have a, the, the name of the bird, the description. You can tap on it and learn more about them because, you know, it, it's hard for me to distinguish birds, you know? Um, yeah. So I find it really, really cool. When you were talking, I, I, I was like, <gasps> because mm-hmm. there's this one particular bird. I think it's a mockingbird. <laughs> I'm not sure. But it uh-huh. sounds like a car alarm. You know how <laughs> on a car alarm, it'll start uh-huh. and it'll be like, beer, beer, beer. And then it'll do mm-hmm. that for a certain number of beats. And then it'll mm-hmm. switch sounds and it'll be like, chuka, chuka, chuka. Yeah. And then it'll switch, mm-hmm. you know, and there is a bird that does that. And so I started Googling because I'm like, what is this bird when I, I'll hear this bird all the time. And so I started Googling and what do I Google? Which birds make sounds like car alarm? <laughs> yeah. and, and so, I mean, all mm-hmm. signs on Google point to Mockingbird, but I'm totally getting this app. Yes, so. I'm telling you, it changed my life. I love it. I'll go outside and I'll record for one minute or something like that. And there'll be like 10 different cool looking birds. Huh. It's the way well, to go. I, th- I have seen those memes too about you hit middle age and so all of a sudden you're like into birds. And for <laughs> us, my husband and I, it, it has been so true. We are so stereotypical. Mm-hmm. It kind of started during the pandemic a little bit, but we got we got like one bird feeder and we liked it so much that now we have like three or four bird feeders. We have an app too, but it's not specifically for birds. It's called Seek and you can do mm-hmm. it for any living thing, but it doesn't do the sound. It's just by, you're, you know, you're taking a picture of it with your mm-hmm. phone and it will yeah. identify it. But this, this app, I'll have to tell my husband, it will blow his mind. He is very methodical about filling his bird feeders <laughs> every I weekend. Even, and I don't often get to see, because when I bought my cabin, they're like two words of advice. Leave your garbage inside and don't put up a bird feeder because the bears will come. And I haven't, oh. had any, haven't seen any bears. So I don't have bird feeders. So I can't really see a lot of them unless, you know, occasionally they'll come in and they'll land and stuff like that. But yeah, get the, get the app. It's going to change your life. Oh, wow. okay. I've already downloaded it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Your last question. How mm-hmm. has your empty nest experience been? Wow. Okay. So it's just me and my daughter. So we're very close. Um, at least I think we're very close. <laughs> it's been good. I mean, she's happy in college. Uh, I mean, she, and I can say all this now with a smile on my face because she's home for the summer, right? <laughs> so I get to see her, but it was good. It came at a good time because I've been, you know, I was really focused on my book stuff. And so it's kept me really busy. And now she's home for the summer and she's helping me do my social media. Hello, TikTok. You think I'm making those TikTok <laughs> videos? No, she's helping me with those. No, I'm happy for her. You know, it's the best possible scenario. You know, you see your child grow and move on and be happy somewhere and thrive. And that's sort of what you want, right? It's, it's, it's hard, but it's also feels, you know, very uh, good to me to see her. Yeah. yeah. So. That's the way of things. That's what's supposed to happen, you know? Yeah. Well, Vicki, I know you've finished your work day and then jump right on to, to let us chat with you. So we appreciate it. And good luck with all your your book talks and book events and everything for Molly's Tuxedo. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. 
You can find Vicki at her website, VickiJohnsonWrites.com or on Instagram at VickiJohnsonWrites. You can also see her past work on Instagram at Cabin.Reads. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at perksofbeingabookloverpod and on Facebook at perksofbeingabooklover. If you like what we're doing with this show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.